Welcome to the Playbook Podcast. My name's Mikey. And I'm Geordie, and we love to talk sports. We take a relaxed approach, love to banter, and express our passionate opinions. Not only do we love chatting amongst ourselves, but we occasionally get the views from important characters in the sporting world. So, for our very first podcast, we're speaking with special guest Tom Morris, Fox Footy Senior Reporter. So let's dive in. We'd like to welcome Tom Morris to the podcast, Senior Journalist at Fox Footy. Thanks so much for coming on the pod. It's my pleasure to be with you guys. It's uh, it's an honour, actually, So to be, to be with you on the podcast and talking all things sport. Yeah, brilliant. So, you know, we see you on, on the couch and, and, you know, I'm an avid listener to the Fox Footy podcast. But take us through your story, Tom. How did you go from, you know, a young Melbourne grammar, Tom, into a senior journal at Fox Footy? Well, pretty much I always loved sport. Um, I loved it when I was a little kid. I loved cricket and footy and soccer and tennis and, and golf and still do. Um, and by coincidence, when I was at school, I, I still loved sport, but I wasn't really good at maths or science or languages or any of those sort of uh, subjects. I, I was always into humanities. So I loved English and history and politics and geography and those sort of things and, uh, and media studies. And as a result, when I finished school, I, had, I, I was enrolled in an arts degree in Melbourne. I thought to myself, yeah, I, I could do that. That'd be great. But then I went to England. I played a bit of cricket. I went to England to be the overseas professional Wimbledon Career Club in 2010. So I was 18, turning 19. I came back, was ready to do my arts degree, and a family friend said, oh, there's this new course that's open at a, at a university called The Trobe called Sports Journal. Like the course was sports journalism. I thought, well, I don't know how I can say no to that. So much to Melbourne University's frustration, given that they allowed me to defer, I then got out of that course and got to La Trobe and did three years there and ended up getting a job at St Kilda Footy Club about halfway through my second year, part-time, helping with the website and social media and things like that. And that, that role grew. And when I had that role, I was able to meet other people inside the industry and then got a job at Fox Footy, which is another story in itself. But it's probably a bit too simplistic to say I always wanted to be a sports journalist. But I certainly never wanted to be anything else, if you know what I mean. It wasn't like I was 10 years old going, I want to be, a, I want to write for the paper or I want to be on TV. But I knew I never really wanted to be a lawyer or a doctor um, yeah. or an accountant. I thought being a teacher would be pretty cool as well. I mean, I've coached a lot of cricket and footy, but, but also I probably don't have the tolerance for that. Uh, so it, it was pretty clear to me as soon as that sports journalism degree came up in 2011 that I should, I should leap into it. And everything's just sort of worked out pretty well. And then when I got into Fox footy, the ball's fallen my way. You know, when I started, I had great people teaching me, you know, really, really good people helping me and, and, and allowing me to learn on the job, which is so important. Yeah. And then Jake Nile came over. What happened was Caroline Wilson retired from the age and Jake Nile came over for two years to be our chief footy reporter. And right. in the two years he was with us, 2016-17, I learned so much. Like I just thought he was just brilliant. And then, then he went back to the age to be their chief footy reporter. And then there was a spot open at Fox Footy no to be the senior footy reporter. I just, I did, honestly didn't even consider myself a chance. I was, um, I was 26 years old, so it was two and a bit years ago. And I'm sitting at the SCG for Australia versus England, a test match. Yeah, um, in, in the Ashes. Yeah, it was Kawhi to make, like, we, I think we have three or four century makers and we dominate the test. We win 4-0. Um, and then we go to South Africa and, and Australian cricket burns to the ground. But in, in that test match at the FCG, I've, I'd actually paid to be there myself. So I was working, right. but uh, I was staying with a family friend. I'd paid to go because I just knew that I wanted to do some more cricket stuff. So I'd, mm-hmm. I'd said to Fox, look, I'll go to the Adelaide test earlier in that summer and I'll go to the FCG test and I'll do the Boxing Day just to make myself meet some people and you know get around the cricket community. It's a bit harder. Yeah. So I was sitting at the FCG on day five and I got a call from my mate and, and, and he said... Um, I just heard that uh, 
Bomber Thompson's been arrested on Fitzroy Street with uh, with you know, possession of drugs and, yeah. and all this sort of thing. I said, geez, that's a big story. So I actually went to, um, I was sitting at the SCG and I said to my boss, I said, look, I can't really watch the cricket at the moment or work on the cricket because I've got to chase this big story about Bomber Thompson. Absolutely. He goes, okay, so go and chase it. So I went. I, I sort of made a few calls. I didn't really know what to do. Um, I thought, well, what would Jake do in this time? Because Jake wasn't working at Fox anymore. There was this sort of gap between when Jake finished and when I was appointed the senior footy reporter of about six months. So I didn't think I was in the running for it anyway. Ended up breaking the story that Bomber Thompson's house had been raided. He actually hadn't been arrested to that point, but his house had been raided and, and they'd found lots of drugs and various things inside the yeah, house. And that court case is now finished. But by breaking that story, which made me so scared, but I, I, was, I, knew, I knew it was right in the end by the time I went with it. Um, not to mention the fact that Bomber Thompson worked at Fox Footy. So uh, I was breaking a story about someone that I'd actually been a colleague with for the previous three years, albeit I hadn't known him that well. But by breaking that story, my bosses obviously thought that I could do a job um, yeah, yeah. as a senior yeah. footy reporter. So Definitely. they gave me the job. Not and bad. It, it took me by surprise. So that's, in a nutshell, uh, <laughs> so maybe a long-winded version of how I've got from being a sport-loving kid to, to where I am now, working in my dream job. Fantastic, Tom. Well, look, we're so we're little journalists ourselves, I guess, and we're learning that it isn't exact science by any means. Um, as a viewer, um, pretty much all we see is the final product on TV, right? But surely you've yep. had some funny stuff-ups or two in your time. Do you reckon you could give <laughs> us, like, a quick embarrassing moment of yours or maybe even a funny run-in with a player that you've had? Oh, yeah, I've, I've got enough. I'm just trying to, trying to think about the best one to talk <laughs> yeah. about. Um, a couple of times uh, I've just said the wrong thing on TV. I've just, I've just got it wrong, you know, uh-huh. like, not in terms of the story, but I've just I've got my words wrong or I've forgotten my words. Oh, no. Um, I had a run in in my first week. So what happened was the, that test of the SCG happened. Then a few weeks later, I got a call saying I've got the job. And then uh, round one of the 2018 season came around and Fox told me that I'd be on the couch. And I thought, oh, my yeah. God, you know, I, I'm going to be sitting next to Paul Ruse and there's going to be Gary Lyon and oh, uh, around and Jared Healy. And Jared Healy had been like my mentor for about a year before then. So he got me involved in radio and things like that. So I was comfortable with him. The other guys I didn't know at all, really. So I'm going to be sitting on the couch. I'm ready to break this big story that I've got. Well, I think it's a big story at the time. Looking back at it, it's not that big. But that Luke Dalhouse um, was put up for trade by the Western Bulldogs the previous trade period and that he'd be leaving at the end of the year. Yeah. And uh, and I'm sitting there going, I'm ready I'm ready to say this story. This is great. So I sort of, I didn't know what I was doing. I was I, My heart was beating. Um, I was so nervous. It's the most... <laughs> To me, it's the most esteemed footy show. You know, it's been around for yeah, 20 years. Yeah, it is. Years. Oh, it is. It um, definitely is. And, and not, it's not everyone's cup of tea because it's like deep footy chat, but certainly I think a lot of footy fans like it. And I'm all of a sudden part of it for the last five minutes, and I say, I can't remember the words, but I, I, I stuffed it up. I said, Luke Dalhouse, uh, Western Bulldogs, trade. I, I just I couldn't get my words <laughs> right. But, it, but luckily, I'd written the story so people could read it online, yeah. and that's probably where it gets most of the reach. Anyway, I get a call on my phone. And, I, and I'm, st- I'm still thinking, geez, I can't believe what just happened the night before. I've sort of forgotten about the story. I get a call from Luke Beveridge, um, the Western Bulldogs coach. Yeah, yeah. It's a random number. He goes, G'day, Tom. It's, uh, it's Luke Beveridge. I said, Oh, G'day, Luke. And I'd never <laughs> spoken to him before in my life, I don't think. And he, and he just tore shreds off me. He said, Mate, Dalhouse is not going. We did not put him <laughs> off the trade. You were well off the mark. He's such an important part of our club. Blah, 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 blah. Right. I, retra- I, I need you to retract it. Um, all this sort of stuff. And I said, Luke, Oh, with the greatest respect, of, you know, he might not be going because he can always change his mind, but I know that he was put up for trade because I've spoken to clubs that, that said that he was put on the table. Anyway, that was it. Um, I left it there and, and Luke and I had a pretty frosty relationship. But weirdly now, I get along quite well with Luke. In, in fact, when we see each other, we, we have a laugh. So it's almost like you've got to have a run-in with someone before that you actually earn their respect. But then 
clearly we know what happened. Luke Dalhouse went to Geelong at the end of the year and the Western <laughs> Bulldogs moved him on. So, uh, But no one remembers that. No one needs to. That's fine. I'm not here to claim a story. But it just shows that uh, often when you do a good story, people don't like it. And that's when you get phone calls. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and I've, be- I've become more accustomed to getting those phone calls over the last couple of years. Yeah, well, well, it's interesting. That's You know, that's kind of the dynamic that goes on behind the scenes, you know, for you in Fox footy and getting a call yeah. from a coach, you know. But let's, um, let's crack into footy. So you know at the moment, of course, you know, there's a lot of conversation around the game. So scoring's down. So I've gone, I've gone on the computer. I've done a bit of research. And, and between the years 2000 and 2009, the Coleman medalists scored on average six, uh, 78 goals. Right? So yeah. that's three and a half goals a game. Yeah. The following 10 years, from 2010 to now, it was three goals a game. So that's down yeah. 0.4 goals. Currently, we're at 2.2 goals a game. Right, so yep. obviously there's been a massive down swing in scoring over the whole yep. competition, and that's just a great stat to show. Gil, yep. you know, he said last week there's no issue in the game. There's nothing. The yep. games are close, exciting, but obviously something's different about the way games are being played now than they used to be. Of course, the scoring's different. Something's different about it. So, I guess my first question to you is: Is do you think there's a problem? Do you think the AFL needs fixing at the moment? Uh, I think there's a problem. I don't think that the AFL is terminally ill, but I think it needs a few. Band-aid. I think it's. I think it's been tried. It, there's a few band aid solutions that have been tried and haven't worked because what happens with band aids? You know, the blood seeps through, and in the end, they're no good. So you, you do need probably to uh, put the game into some sort of surgery, not dr- not drastic surgery, but there needs to be some sort of significant shift to make it more entertaining or high scoring on a more consistent basis. But what I will say is that I would actually be disappointed if Gil came out and said the game is cooked. Like, the CEO of the AFL can't come out and say that, uh, yeah. even if he does believe it. I'm, he's a very rational person, Gil. I'm not oh, here to be his cheerleader. But I'm sure he watches games and goes, oh, my God, this is ugly like the rest of us. No, he, uh, he gives not, us confidence, I think. He, he really gives the game a good face. That's right. And I think he's had a very good year after a pretty ordinary couple of years. If I'm honest. I think he's had a really, really good sort of six or seven months in times that have been difficult. But... When when you have a situation where those numbers you point out are decreasing the likelihood of high-scoring games, then you have a situation where people are turning off and there's more distractions than ever. I mean, I'll, I can talk about it from the media point of view. Um, that It's never been higher, the number of people that watch the first half of games, gets to half-time, and then don't tune back in for the second wow. half. Whereas wow. when I was young, and I'm sure you guys are the same, you'd sit down, you'd watch a game, and you didn't have an iPhone next to you to distract you or you didn't have Netflix that you could go point. and watch. Um, you just had to sit through the ad break and then you watch the rest of the game. And that, that, and that was the way the game was. That's, was, that's the way the, you know, life was. But now there's so many different distractions. People are consuming their media in a different way. So the game needs to get better. It has to get better. I, I'm still a fan of the sport, but I've got no doubt it's nowhere near as entertaining consistently as it was even 15 years ago, let alone 25 years ago. But I also think it's wrong to go back and, and assume that we can get to the stage that was in the mid-1990s where three or four players a year were kicking 80 to 90 or, or 100 goals. I think yeah. that's also wrong. So you need a considered approach. I know Steve Hocking at the AFL is doing his best to work out the fabric of the game and then and then tinker in the edges. Um, the big question for me that no one has been able to answer with any certainty, everyone has hypotheticals, is, and you guys might know better than me, but if the, if the players are fatigued, is it better or worse for the game? So if, if, they're, if they're properly fatigued, i.e. if there's 40 rotations, does that mean that players miss more targets? It probably does. And therefore, the ball, it's more like a rolling ball. But does it also mean 
that the players um, stay at each end of the ground, so, the, so the, what they call the ground is bigger. You know, there's a gap between the wingman and, the, and a half-forward flanker and the forward flanker and the forward pocket. I don't know the answer. No one's been able to, to, to work it out for me. When they rotations came in, uh, it went to 120 in its first year and 90 in its second year. There's really a, a minuscule difference to the sport. So, in a, again, in a long-winded way, I think the game needs help. I don't think it's broken. But I certainly think it needs some... I'm not, a, I'm not one of these people that says leave the game alone. I, the game has never been left alone because it's such a complex sport and coaches are so smart. You need to stay ahead of the curve. But that's a really hard job for the AFL. Oh, it's an impossible question to answer, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> no, I see what you're saying, Tom. Um, so, look, I watch a lot of US sport. And traditionally, when you think of US sport, right, it's like what you're saying. It's that high tempo, high scoring, what AFL is looking for. And it's just yep. constant action. And that's because I think there's rules to assist the attacking team. So surely yep. if this is a problem within the AFL, they can easily make those changes. Yeah. Um, you think of the 666, right? And, yep. and the nine metre. Like, I think the nine metre rule is a great rule. The nine metre rule? So, yeah, like, you know the nine metre rule from the, um, from the kick-in? Oh, yes, gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, no, I, I think I that's agree. a great rule. And I think, and the 666, I think that works from centre bounce and whatever. But in terms of, I think they, they're supporting rules and, and need a more significant kind of structural change to the game for those to be much more effective rules. Yeah, that's right. I think, uh, look, I don't know, again, I don't know how it looks, but I would love to see some sort of advantage for teams that score heavily. And I'm not sure whether you can give them an extra half a point or a boost in percentage because that sort of goes against the whole idea of what a percentage is, which is for and against. Um, But at the moment, there's no advantage for a team if they win 60 uh, versus 40 over... 100 versus 60, if you know what I mean. Like they, may, yeah. they may as well keep it low scoring, keep the game in check oh. um, and, and, and force ball-ups and throw-ins because that's where coaches can, can have a control because it's a 50-50 scenario where they can work on their setups and, and match-ups and, and strategies. Um, it's their job the to win. Is, when the game is free-flowing, exactly, when the game is free-flowing, it's, uh, it, it's entertaining to watch, but there's a lack of control from the coaches and they don't like that. So, look, I'm a big soccer fan, right? I'm just going to flip Who that on support? Ted. United, Manchester United. You're an Arsenal well man? You're an Arsenal man, are you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what are yeah. you? Well, it's, that's another question in itself. I, I grew up um, supporting Southampton um, <laughs> because I went to uh, watch Southampton versus Fulham in 1999. With my my right. mum's English, so we went over to England. Oh, and I went nice. to watch, Raven uh, Cottage. I, well, yeah, I was at Fulham, but I went to the Dell where Southampton played. Oh. They don't play there anymore. Um, in 1999, and I fell in love with uh, Matt Letizier, who is a was a was just like a glorious. He never missed a penalty. Either way, uh, I w- fell in love with Southampton. But then I came back, and we didn't have Foxtel at the time. We got Foxtel, and Southampton were in the Premier League, so I had to pick a new team. <laughs> so uh, I thought, oh, everyone goes for Manchester United. This is about 2006. I'll go for Manchester City. I'll go. Oh. I'll, I'll, I'll go. I'll support Man City because everyone else goes for Man United. And then two years later, they. Um, they bought Rubinho and I got accused of being a bandwagoner, which is actually the opposite to what I was trying to be. <laughs> so, in short, I actually love the sport. Um, if I had to pick a team, it would probably if, it, it would probably be Manchester City now, just sure. because I, I used to watch them all the time. But you know, it makes me feel a bit ill because I know exactly how um, people look at Collingwood supporters, and I feel the same the same thing gets looked at Man City supporters. Absolutely, no, I, I love that, Tom. That's great, and you got I'm sure a little soft spot for Southampton there as well. 
I got soft spots for uh, for all the clubs that struggle to make ends meet. Like I just yeah. love it. Like Sunderland until I die is one of the best things I've watched. Oh, it's since terrific. One and two, terrific. and I, I preferred that much more than the test documentary on Amazon. I just love the backroom stuff, and I love the whole idea, yeah. the whole idea of the English football system. If I didn't work in footy, I would be working in London 100%. I, don't, I think it's a great competition, and and the the amount of um, you know, the amount of media coverage it gets dwarfs anything we have here the, the, the trade window uh, the transfer window sorry in January and also in the off season and then the controversies and the way the managers actually speak their mind VAR is added another layer I just I just love it fantastic nah Tom I'm glad we're all sports fans here and all big soccer <laughs> yeah. fans so just going off the back of that um, there's just one thing that I don't get with AFL right and why there's no red card like why do players not get sent off yeah, that, well, I think there should be. That's a good question. Um, I think it should be for the most serious actions, like a deliberate punch, like Barry Hall on Brett Staker, or there's, been a, there's probably been two or three more incidents since then. Andrew Gaff on Brayshaw, uh, I think it was two years ago that yeah. happened. Um, the, the reason is because it, the reason why it's not a rule is because it's never been a rule. And AFL or Australian football has always tried to distance itself, I think wrongly, from soccer or other sports like rugby. I mean, every other sport. Uh, that I can think of at the top of my head, at least in in, in in a team sense, has a send-off rule. And you have a you have a situation where at all lower levels there is a send-off rule. If you play an amateur game of footy, you can get a red card and be sent off. If you play an under-12s game of footy, you can be sent off. But the only level where there is not a send-off rule, the level where we probably oh. need it the most because it has the most money riding on it and most significance is the top level. So I completely agree with you. I think we need a red card rule. It, unfortunately... The debate only comes up when there is a red card type incident. I think it would have to be a deliberate um, and intentional probably punch or elbow to the face, which has a significant impact. I wouldn't be sending someone off for an errant bump or a misguided tackle or even a spoil where you hit someone's head. But I think for an incident that's black or white, you know, a really significant one, we definitely need it in the game. But the AFL has so far resisted it, even though all the lower levels have it. Yeah, you know what, like, you, you, you've brought up, you know, my example that I've got written down here, which, which is that gaff situation. The, the main thing that I've got an issue with is the fact that Frio, you know, they were, obviously, they were losing at the time. They were losing by a fair bit. But they've lost yeah. Andy Brayshaw. He, he gets to continue to play gaff. And you know what? Gaff then, he's banned for the rest of the season. You know, he obviously doesn't play the final. And the teams that play West Coast in the following rounds get an advantage comparatively to Frio not having to play gaff. So I, oh, yeah, it's, it's a no-brainer in my view. I oh, I, it's just uh, it's stubbornness, but I agree with you. That's, that's just the way it is. I, knew, I had a feeling that would be your answer, that it's because it's how it always has been. Yeah, but it hasn't been that way at lower levels. Yeah. It's not like football people are immune to red cards. If you go watch a club game of footy, there's, especially in the uh, outer suburb or a place which is um, a bit rougher, there's, there's a red, or two, red card or two red cards every single game. Yeah. So if people are used to it, for whatever reason, the top Surely. level don't, doesn't have it. Um, Mikey and I were just talking beforehand and we'll say how AFL players, they come in like all sizes, right? Where you get your scrawny quick guy or your thick and hard guy in the centre. Um, if you had to pick a player that most reminds you of yourself, who would it be? <laughs> or, who, <laughs> or who do you look at and think, yep, I'm the AFL version of him? Oh, she's... That's a question I've never been asked before. Um, <laughs> oh, look, I wasn't much of a footballer. Like, I played first eighteen footy at school. I played a bit of footy after school. I was more of a cricketer. I played a bit of soccer. I played some golf. But I was never ever going to play AFL. Um, <laughs> well, what am I? I'm 179 centimetres. I'm not necessarily quick. I've got reasonable endurance. 
Probably I, a bit soft. I think I've got a good one for you. Who's that? You know, a bit of a, a bit of a Heath Shaw, but maybe without the dirtiness. Yeah, without the white line fever, I didn't really. I was. I didn't really get G'd up. You know, there's some footy players, in, and probably happens in other sports as well, like rugby, where you've got to you've got to pump the uh, <laughs> you, you, the coach pumps the team up before they run out. Yeah, I was just I was just always at the back going, I'm fine. I'll just go and play, and then I went and played. And I've always been like that. When fast bowlers get pumped up and get aggressive, I'm just I'm just laughing at it. <laughs> It's just not in my nature to be like that. I get that it is for some other people. But, yeah, he sure will do nicely. Thanks. He's maybe a bit quicker than me. Um, he turns the ball over a bit, so I need to probably yeah. play out my skills. But he's a bit taller, but he's a very good player. So, yeah, I'll take he sure. Thanks. Yeah, cool. <laughs> so, so let's move on to a segment. You know, I like to call it five years from now. So I'm going to say a club, you know, a player, sports person. You know, you can tell us what you think, where you think he'll, they'll be in five years from now. Good question. So, are, we assuming, are we assuming there's a vaccine for COVID by then? Yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, assuming. Okay, good. Setter is Paris. Assuming we're all alive. Yep. Exactly. So, um, first off, let's go with the Demons. 17th yep. on the ladder. Where do you think they'll be in five years? Well, I support Melbourne. Um, I knew that. So, this, this, is a, this is one close to my heart, although my support has wavered in recent years. Um, and I can't work out whether it's wavered because I'm just getting older and you get less passionate as you get older because you're not a kid anymore or because you're actually working in the industry and it and sort of dehumanises them a little bit. Right. Um, oh, sorry, humanises them a little bit, not dehumanises it. Um, what are they going to be in five years? Probably where they are now. Uh, it's, it's deeply cultural, the lack of success. And although they had a good 2018 Melbourne Football Club, uh, I'd be surprised if it changed anytime soon. I would have also said that about Richmond before 2017 and the Dogs before 2016, but for whatever reason, Melbourne hasn't been able to put it together. So they need to find some young stars that can take this club through. I think Petrarca is. Um, Simon Goodwin, if it wasn't for COVID-19, would absolutely be under the pump to keep his job, but you actually can't afford to sack him at the moment. Not you probably would already, but certainly in a couple of months' time, if they continue to lose, you would. But I would be surprised if Melbourne... I mean, I'm hopeful, but I'd be surprised if Melbourne had any level of success in the near future. It's just it, there's no reason to believe that. I'm normally glass half full, but... Probably not with the D's, given uh, my skin in the game. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I've, I've been following Melbourne pretty closely for a while. And I've got to say, Simon Goodwin, he, he just doesn't fill me with confidence. You know, even at the presses, he doesn't give me that. He seems a bit shaky up there. Yeah, um, it's not. interesting, isn't it? Like there's, he's quite blasé and, and he certainly supports his players to the hilt. Yeah. Which comes across as really good when they need it, but a little bit of a cop-out when they don't. I think the jury's still out on Simon Goodwin. I'm not saying yeah. that he can't coach. I'm not. So, I'm not saying that um, he's not going to be any good in the future because that's what I was probably saying about Damien Hardwick about four years ago. Yeah. Uh, the jury's out. They're deliberating, and I think they're a fair way away from a verdict. Um, look, I'm going to ask you the next player. Tell me what you think, um, Matt yeah. Rowell, young Brownlow yeah. contender before doing his shoulder last week. Uh, how do you think he ranks among the all-time rookies, and where do you think he'll oh. be in five years? Probably a two-time Brownlow medalist in five years. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. He, he, he's, he just plays. The thing that the thing that strikes me about Matt Rowell, and I I, uh, I watched him quite a bit last year in the under 18s as well, and um, I saw him play again in school footy. I've seen him play this year. He just always plays well. Like he never mm. he never plays badly. He never ever plays badly. And even if he only has twenty touches, like he did um, in a recent game, he still kicks his two goals. So yeah. I think it's, uh, it's probably two-time Brownlow medalist. I think he's going to be absolutely so super, you know, a gener- you know a generational player. Sometimes players come around and go, they're, they're, they're stars. You know, Joel Selwood or Penbury, um, Dangerfield, like these these stars of the competition. And occasionally players come around and they're Chris Judd. You know, like they're, they're Gary Ablett. They're proper all-time greats. And I think he's probably going to be one of them. 
Yeah, well, well, it's funny. I guess, like, especially up in Sydney, you hear about the players once they once they get on a mock draft list. So, like, Raul was at the top. And, you know, I think of him and I'm like, oh, you know, he must be good. You know, everyone has him on the top. But, like, how good can he really be? And then you get to watch him the last few weeks. What a pity. Yeah. But what a gun as well. You know, surely long career. Um, yeah. And then, you know, quickly, let's go quickly through, you know, the Crows. Like, I'm sure you saw the yeah. Sam McClure article that just came out. Yep. Yeah. About all the stuff. Yeah. I just personally think that in that if I was a player, why would I trust my career with the Crows? Well, not only that, if you're a player manager, why would you trust sending a player yeah. to there that might want to be traded? No, I completely agree with that. A bit of background about that story. So in uh, that story, so that was um, March... 2018? Late, late March 2018, yeah. yeah. And I called Brett Burton, who was their head of footy, and I said, and I'd never spoken to him before, although I'd seen him play a lot because he took hangers all the time, the bird man. And I said to him, go, Brett, it's Tom Morris calling from Fox Footy. He goes, go, Tom, how can I help you? I said, Brett, um, I've got this story about a training camp, about your training camp. I understand not every player hated it, but there was a lot of um, upheaval and, and disquiet among players and assistant coaches after it. Um, it was cult-like. I'm, I've written a story. I just want to see if you, can, if, if you can provide me with a comment, either on the record or give me some background off the record, i.e., have you apologised to your players? And if you have, you know, what's the reaction been? That sort of thing. And I might be able to water down the story. And he said, just, just give me half an hour, Tom. I said, no worries. It was about five o'clock on a Monday. So on the couch, it was about three hours away. And he called me back. He said, yeah, good day, Tom. I said, go, Brett. He goes, mate, I'm telling you, you'll be embarrassed if you write this story. Um, you'll, you'll be... You'll be uh, right, well... You'll be you'll be made to look foolish. You're well off the mark. The media manager spoke to me as well. Um, you know, n- not only are you wrong, it's actually quite defamatory to our football club. So I oh, seriously think twice. Right on the defensive. It. Wow. I thought Jesus. to myself, I thought, look, I actually trust the people I've spoken to here. So I wrote it and I did it, and it blew up, and, and it absolutely blew up to the point where about three months later, they parted ways with Collective Mind. Yes, they made players I, yeah. leave, assistant coaches leave. Their coach has been sacked. Brett Burton was sacked. Um, he filed for wrong dismissal, and that was settled out of court last December. So there's been a lot of things go wrong. In the end, the club has been forced to rebuild from the bottom. But I, I, I said this the other day in Melbourne um, to a few colleagues. In that moment where Brett Burton called me back, he had the option to completely change the course of history, the, the future for the football club. If he'd, if he'd said to me oh. that, I'm sorry, no, no, we've said sorry, you know, we, we probably pushed the players a bit too much. Um, the, some players are a bit frustrated. Uh, we, we, we've apologised. Um, you're about right, but, you know, it's not every player. If he, if he just smoothed it over, that uh, I think I probably would have stood on the story, but in a far lesser way. Instead, I just thought, stuff it. I'm, I'm trusting the people that are speaking to me. I'm calling it cult-like, and cult-like was sort of the, the phrase. And then what happened was, you know, little bits and pieces um, came out about the story over the last couple of years. Um, and then Sam McClure, who, I, who I've grown up with, with the same age. I played a lot of cricket and footy with and against him. Um, he did a great sort of expose into the Adelaide training camp, which needed to be done. And, and it sort of rid his ugly head again. But in that moment where Brett Burton called me back, he had a chance to change things. And he didn't. And it cost him his job. It cost the Crows a couple of years. And it cost a lot of players their, their, uh, their futures as well. I, it's on him, isn't it? He could have he could have changed the whole thing. He could, well, it's, it's on the whole club. It's, for, it's on the whole, whole club initially for doing such a terrible job. Horrible. Um, but then also for not realizing it and being <laughs> too headstrong. Uh, if they just admitted they got it wrong, exactly. to an extent, I think it would have been a lot better. 
Wow, that's crazy. That really is. I had no idea about that one. Um, look, last one, Tom. This one's going to be a bit cheeky. Where's Tom Morris going to be in the next five years? Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, ho- hopefully still in Melbourne with a job that I'm enjoying doing. Um, five years, I don't know. I mean, I'd love to still be at Fox. Wait, come um, to Sydney. I'd love to come to Sydney. Come have a beer with us. Yeah, I'd love to come and review in Sydney once we... Oh, no, things are opening up there. They can't... Maybe, maybe the Coogee Pavilion up in Sydney would be <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, love the Coogee Pad. Yeah, Coogee Pad on a Sunday evening would be really good. No, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that um, that I, I don't look too far ahead. Right. Primarily, primarily because the industry is changing so quickly. So uh, my, this job I have now, five years ago, when I was working at St Kilda Footy Club, I would have laughed to say that I was doing this. I didn't think I wanted to be a newsbreaking journalist. I looked at the way... Caro copped it. I looked at the way other journalists mm. copped it from pe- some social media people, and, and and I thought, geez, why would I want to be that? But I sort of embrace it now. So, yeah. I, uh, all, all, what I love working about, uh, what I love working at the moment, is that I'm multi-platform. So right. I can write articles, I can talk on TV, I can do radio. Yeah, if I need brilliant. to produce something, I can produce something. If I want to do a podcast, I can do a podcast. So I've got a good variation. Like although the Herald Sun or the Age. Uh, or what were you guys are like the Sydney Morning Herald? I'd I'd be um, probably high profile because of the platform. It, it leaves you less different things to do. Like I, on mm. on a Monday, I'll get into work and I walk into a meeting on on the couch, and there's all the guys on the couch plus a couple of producers, and for an hour they just talk about footy, and I'm yeah, just sitting there going, that? "What am I doing?" And then I then I go and do a podcast, and I'm on TV that night, and then the next day. Um, writing articles or doing a blog. So being able to be multi-platform and multi-dimensional in what you do is so, so important. Gone are the days where you just have someone who's successful and young who can just do one thing, i.e. talk on camera. You need to be able to do so many different things. So That's it. again, five years' time, hopefully doing what I'm doing now would be great. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to, one thing I'd love to do more of is cricket commentary. I've done a fair right. bit. Um, yep. But it's, I mean, it's not easy to get into because, you know, Fox Cricket, which has got such a strong team, and if you haven't played the game at the highest level, it's even harder. Like, Howie does an amazing oh, job. He hasn't yeah. played the game at the highest level. Um, and You've been on um, one of those cricket panels. I've seen you up there. Yeah, I've, I've, done, um, I've, done state, I've done state games, a couple of BBL games as well, which has been awesome. I'm not complaining yeah. anyway. Oh, yeah. But I'd love to do some more career commentary. Career commentary is really what I love doing most, if I'm perfectly honest. Wow, yeah. Um, and, and probably hosting some TV shows and things like that. I think what Jared Waitley does is pretty cool. Oh, but I'm not getting ahead of myself because what I've realised in the last six months above everything else with all these redundancies that we had at Fox yeah. is if you get ahead of yourself, then you can get cut down. So I've got a lot of gratitude for the trust people have shown to me over the last couple of years. Right. Yeah. Oh, unbelievable. Well, Tom, it has been lovely to speak to you. Thank you so much for coming on. You know, one oh, day, pleasure. one day you'll look back and you'll think, "Wow, I was the first ever guest on the Playbook podcast." I'm not the first, am I? Yeah, you are the very first. Thank you so much. No, no worries at all. Thank Th- you, guys.